welcome back to another episode of A Kingdom Perspective. I'm Scott, and normally here with me would be Steve, but uh, today we've uh, got a special guest host. John Shirley is going to be with us today uh, as we talk about A Kingdom Perspective on missions. In, in, in the last episode, we talked about the purpose of the church and that we we're going to be talking about the church all month long. And, and in our last episode, we said that the purpose of the church is to glorify God by visibly representing his kingdom on earth. And one of the ways that we do that is with a commitment to evangelism, a commitment to sharing the good news. And in the church, when we talk about evangelism, that often means missions. We often call that missions, or we call it outreach, or we call it evangelism. A lot of times we have uh, a ministry team or multiple ministry teams that are tasked with specifically looking for ways to lead the church in those directions. And so, um, like I said, John Shirley is here with me today as our guest host. And John has uh, uh, some interesting background when it comes to missions. And so, John, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about your missions background? Well, um, I uh, spent a number of years with uh, what was at the time called African Christian Mission, now ACM International, and Pioneer Bible Translators. And I was uh, working in uh, what was then called Zaire, is today the Democratic Republic of the Congo, uh, working with uh, a team of national believers who were translating the Bible into, or actually doing a revision of a translation, into Congolese Swahili. And so part of my background was uh, language learning and learning about living in another culture and learning about bringing the gospel to people who, who live differently and in a different context than we're used to. So I spent about 10 years with those organizations. Um, doesn't necessarily qualify me to speak to all aspects of missions, but I guess it gives me a little bit of an international perspective. Right. I'd say that you've probably been involved in, in missions work on the ground, you know, boots on the ground, more than most Christians uh, that I've encountered. And so... Uh, how did how did you get uh, how did you get started in that direction? Well, I started out by uh, going to college at what was then Lincoln Christian College, now Lincoln Christian University, and uh, was actually even as a senior in high school was exposed to Pioneer Bible Translators in church camp, and I just thought that sounded fascinating. I just couldn't imagine anything more exciting than bringing the Bible to people who did not have it before, and it opened my eyes to the fact that there were at that point you know, thousands of languages still in the world that didn't have the Bible uh, in them at all, and that that was a great need, and I was fascinated with language. I thought that sounded pretty cool, and then uh, when I was in college, went to uh, Zaire, now the Congo, uh, on an internship, and got a chance to work a little bit with what was going on there and to see the people and see what the country was like and learn a little bit of Swahili and a few things like that. And uh, it just really clicked for me. So I ended up uh, pursuing a graduate degree in uh, linguistics and translation and going back there and uh, was actually seven years working there on the ground. And uh, while I was there, also got a chance to teach uh, in a local Bible college and to do uh, help with a variety of other things that the mission was involved with there. So yeah, not all missions obviously are linguistic. Not all missions are Bible translating, but I would say that all missions are about translating God's Word into 
uh, a local language of the people, whether it's literally translating it like Bible translation, or whether it's just contextualizing a gospel message in a way that people will understand God's love for them and what God's done for them, I would say that really at the heart of missions is that idea of bringing the, the good news, bringing the message to people who need to hear it. That's a very good way of putting it. Yeah, pretty much everything we do as the church, you know, is bringing the kingdom of God, the message of God, God's rule and reign into the lives of people. And often that requires thinking about what is going to help them to grasp that, what is going to bring that to them, what are their needs, what are their perspectives. Uh, You know, Jesus kind of modeled that for us himself in that um, we needed a Savior, and all of the, uh, you know, the the centuries of prophets and preachers that God had sent had, had laid the foundation for that, but ultimately what God did was he came himself in the person of his son and lived like an ordinary Jewish man in the first century of our era, and uh, he contextualized it. He brought it home to us so we could see what it was like in in our flesh and blood. That God uh, has a heart for people. I mean, ultimately, that's, I think, his clearest scene in in that he sent his own son uh, into flesh and blood to, you know, to live as an incarnation, uh, as, as, as a human, but also God, which is super weird, something I guess we talk about in a whole other podcast, but um, to, to live as the, you know, the God-man incarnate, but that, that goes back far before Jesus, that, that God has a heart for people, not just his people, not just the church, and, and not just the nation of Israel, but God has always really had a heart for the world. Yeah, I I think a lot of times we think that the Old Testament is just about the Jewish people and the New Testament is about everybody else. Um, But actually the Old Testament, the foundation was laid for God's outreach to the whole world. I mean, from from the very beginning of the promise to Abraham, he tells Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, it's recorded for us, I will bless all nations of the world through you, through your descendant. And that word nations is peoples, what we think of, not not as nation states like we have today. Those weren't really around back then, but, but different people groups of which there are tens of thousands in the world, uh, speaking different languages and different cultures. And, and God's promise was that Abraham and Abraham's descendants would be a blessing. And then through the Old Testament, you see places where that's borne out, where Abraham himself brings blessing to some of the other peoples that are around him. Um, later on in Israel's history, where um, even through some of the things that Israel did that were not necessarily good, that caused them to get drawn into exile in Babylon and then Persia. You know, we see Daniel, we see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we see Esther, um, all of whom brought blessing and brought God's presence and God's perspective to these other countries that were around them. I think there's a temptation there that, that you know, that God calls a people to himself. God calls, you know, God raises up the nation of Israel to be his people, to be his, I mean, there's language throughout the Old Testament, my special possession, uh, and, and clearly he is with them in a special way, in a particular way, and I think that that, that there's a temptation uh, to 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 view that as that I am somehow special. I am that I somehow am better than other people because God has chosen me. And I think that that ignores what has God chosen me for. That God 
has chosen the nation of Israel, God has called this special people to himself in order to represent him to the whole world. Yeah, and then we see that borne out in what Jesus commanded his disciples. You know, in Matthew chapter 28, he said, okay, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, so now go and make disciples of all peoples. There's that same kind of word again, not nation states, but but all tribes, all peoples, all ethnic groups teaching them everything that I've taught you, not just being nice to them or helping them out, but teaching them, making them disciples, baptizing them, and I will be with you. I will empower you to do that. That's something that's always been fascinating to me, that God certainly could just do the, you know, do this on his own, uh, but, but God has chosen to work through a people. Uh, really, all the way back to the beginning, God has chosen, God continually chooses to work through a people rather than just to demand that things are done a certain way or for him to just come down and do them himself. He works through a people. And I was thinking about this um, when we were thinking about talking about missions, and uh, I, I, I landed on uh, a passage in Romans chapter 10 in, in verse 13 through 15 where uh, it, it says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, that God has this desire for everyone to be saved. In, in you know, 1 Timothy 2, 4, that God wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth, and, uh, and, it, and it's, it's not super difficult to be saved, that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, everyone who trusts in God uh, in, in belief and turns to him uh, in repentance will be saved. Uh, but then uh, Paul in Romans goes into these questions where he says, but how then can they call on the name, uh, or I'm sorry, how can, how can they call on the one they have not believed in? Uh, and how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And, and how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So throughout scripture, we have this idea that we are a sent people. We're not just sitting and receiving God's blessing, but we are blessed to be a blessing. We are sent out. And as Paul underscores there, people cannot believe unless someone goes to tell them. You know, you see that um, played out especially in that in Acts chapter 10, uh, which is kind of the place where we see the mission to the Gentiles being launched in the book of Acts. And you have this, uh, this God-fearing Roman, Cornelius, not a, not a Jewish person at all, but someone who really respected the God of the Israelites and prayed to the God of the Israelites. And we find that, uh, you know, he has this vision and this vision from God. And yet what God tells him is not, here's the gospel, Cornelius, here's what you need to believe. What God tells him is, a man named Peter is going to be coming to you, and he's going to tell you what you need to do. And so then the Lord appears to Peter and gives him a vision and kind of corrects Peter's understanding of who the gospel is for and then sends Peter. So God could have, just like you were saying, God could have, could have done it all right then and there to Cornelius through a vision, but he chooses not to. He chooses instead to just set the stage so that Peter, the one that he sent, will come, the human being, the Christian, will come and tell Cornelius the good news. And that's how Cornelius is, uh, is brought to Jesus then. Okay, so we, we're a sent people that, that God sends us out. He chooses to, to do this work through us. But what are we sent to do? I mean, I, I, in general, I know we're sent to, to share the gospel, um, but, but what exactly does that look like? What, what is the role that the church is supposed to play when it comes to local missions and global missions? Well, that's a really big question because it involves the whole heart of God. 
um, you know, in God's heart, I think, is, uh, is that his kingdom would come. You know, in, in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus said that we should pray certain things. He gave us a model of what we should pray. And, and part of that, of course, was, God, you are really great. Hallowed be your name. Uh, you know, God, provide for our daily needs. Give us our daily bread. Uh, God, forgive us our sins. Keep us from sinning, all that. And we're really big on those kind of things. But also, Jesus said we should pray things like your kingdom come. May may your reign and your rule, Lord, come into the whole world. And so anything God calls us to that enables us to bring God's reign, God's rule, people acknowledging Jesus as Lord is part of that that mission that God has given us. And we pray for that mission, and then God gives us opportunities and calling, I think, to do that. So there's lots of ways that's done, and lots of ways it's done, you know, right in your hometown, and lots of ways it's done all over the world. Missions, at its heart, is about bringing God's kingdom to where you are and, and to where you're not. I think that sometimes we get this backwards. In Acts chapter 1, as Jesus is uh, about to ascend to heaven, he kind of leaves marching orders for the early church, uh, and he says that, uh, that he tells them that, that you will be my witnesses, uh, that you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and then in Samaria and to the ends of the earth, this idea that you, you will be my witnesses. You'll bear witness to what you've seen and heard um, right where you are right in your neighborhood, right in your family, uh, and it'll and it starts there, but it doesn't end there. You know, that it 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 starts right where you are, but right where you are is just the beginning. And it and it's it's to it radiates outward, out into Samaria, out into the region, and out into even further and eventually out into the entire world that we are called to, you know, there's an argument a lot of times in church circles about should we be focused locally or should we be focused globally? Um, and I think the answer is yes. <laughs> you know, we 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 should be uh, focused locally and and globally. That that the church is a people and not a building, and and we're called to be part of the local church and to be part of that community that uh, shows people what God's kingdom looks like if it's lived out. Um, but we're also called to to be part of the, the church worldwide, to be part of the global church, to support uh, global efforts to uh, expand God's kingdom and to share uh, the good news of the gospel and of the love of Jesus to, to others. And so uh, I think that the, the, the role of the church is this kind of twofold idea of, of figuring out how to do that locally, how, how, do we how do we advance God's kingdom right where we are in our community, um, but how can we also support missionaries and organizations that are doing that worldwide? Yeah, and it's interesting the, the progression that Jesus laid out in Acts 1-8 there, because it's not actually a geographical progression, it's a cultural progression, because he says, you know, start out in Jerusalem, the people that are just like you, mm. then go to Samaria, the people that you as Jewish Christians really don't like and you don't even want to associate with, yeah, you go to them next, and that's going to require a little more effort on your part. You're going to have to build some bridges where bridges have been torn down in the past. You're going to have to make some effort to get them to listen to you and accept you. And then he says to the uttermost parts of the earth, and by that, of course, for the Jewish audience, he meant the Gentiles, the people who are not Jewish at all. So it's not a geographical progression. It's a, it's a cultural progression. Mm. It's a 
It's uh, here are the people that in one sense are going to be the easiest for you to be my witnesses to. Here are the people that are nearby, speak the same language you do, but you don't get along with them at all. You don't even know how they live and they don't want to associate with you either. Well, yeah, you need to reach them too. And then here's all these other people that are completely different from you, that maybe speak another language, have customs that are quite different from yours, don't even have this background of understanding who God is. Well, yeah, you need to take my my kingdom to them as well. And that's going to require additional effort in order to bridge those gaps. Everyone needs the gospel, whether they're from a fully different culture, uh, completely different than me, or whether they're just like me. You know, whether I, maybe I live in the same house, you know, maybe they're my own family, but but we are all called to missions. We're all called uh, to go. We're all, uh, you know, we're all called to be sent uh, and, and to establish God's kingdom, to build, God, build God's kingdom, to advance God's kingdom. A lot of those, I, I'm uncomfortable with a lot of those uh, those kingdom verbs because it makes it sound like it's me that's doing it, that I'm doing the building and I'm doing the, and it's really not. Uh, I'm just being faithful to what God is calling me to do and be and say um, in in these different areas and, and relying on God to to bring the growth and to, you know, I can't change anybody's mind or change anyone's heart, but I'm, I, but the Holy Spirit is able, uh, and it's it's my responsibility to be faithful and, and to go where he sends me. And I think, yeah, it can be overwhelming at times, even just to look at our own community and say, gosh, how do we reach our own community? And I think the first step um, is perhaps one that we forget or we dismiss, and it's to do what Jesus said to do when he was giving us that model prayer, to pray, Lord, your kingdom come. And, uh, you know, he's just giving us the model. We can we can expand on that. You know, when you uh, see a, a news story about something terrible happening in your own hometown, well, our first response maybe should be to pray, Lord, may your kingdom come in that situation. May you raise up godly people who will be the hands and feet of Jesus there to meet those needs and to show people how to live differently um, under Jesus. Or or when we hear a, a news broadcast about refugees fleeing a place like Syria, um, you know, we can bemoan what's going on there. We can debate whether or not we should send military in and all that sort of thing. But perhaps the most important thing we can do is to pray, Lord, may your kingdom come in the country of Syria. May the gospel come there. May the gospel bring renewal and restoration and peace. Um, you know, that may be the first thing. And, and and it can also be overwhelming to think, gosh, how do I pray for the whole world? Well, you, you pray for whatever God puts on your heart. God has, I think, crafted each of us to care about some things more than others, right. things that we're especially concerned about or gifted to do something about. And if God puts it on your heart, well, then pray. Absolutely. Well, I think that really that really gets at uh, the heart of, of the kingdom perspective on missions, the thing that, you know, when it comes down to it, we, you know, different churches support different things and different people are passionate about different areas. But I think we can all agree that uh, missions is about your kingdom come. Uh, it's about your kingdom come here in my home and family in my community in my uh, area my my city my state my country uh, and, you know ultimately into my world into the world that I live in your kingdom come and I, I think the kingdom perspective is really two twofold it, it's that our desire is that God's kingdom will come and the responsibility belongs to everyone that everyone is 
a missionary. Whether you're whether you're actually being, you know, get, getting your paycheck through support and, and you're in a country in Africa, uh, or whether you, you know, work a, 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 as an engineer locally and just attend a church, you're still called to a mission field. You're still called uh, to be a missionary. It's going to look a little bit different, but your, your desire is still that God's kingdom will come both locally and globally. I think we're all called to have a local mind, a local heart, a heart for, for local missions, and a heart for global missions, that uh, our desire is for God's kingdom to come uh, to the entire earth. Everywhere that we go, but but also every everywhere that we don't go, like what you were saying, you know, we hear about a story, uh, you know, at the other end, at the other corner of the globe, and and our our first reaction should be, God, your kingdom come. That that what those people really need is you, um, you know, not not something that that I think that they need. You know, that that we make the mistake sometimes of I think jumping uh, to a conclusion that if only, uh, you know, if the, if only they had this, or if only they were more like these people, or if, or, if, or if only, if only, if only, uh, and I think that, that really it's simpler than that, that, that what they need is God, what they need is your kingdom to come, uh, and I think that's our responsibility. That's the, the kingdom perspective. Every one of us is called uh, to do what, we, do what we can to bring God's kingdom. Yeah, and as we pray, I think God will open our hearts to see whatever else he might want us to do. We, we tend to regard prayer sometimes as being, oh, well, at least... I can pray. And we say that, and that's a normal thing to say, but we have to recognize what we mean by that is not that prayer is a least thing, that prayer is a lesser thing. We're just saying by that prayer is at at the minimum the thing that each and every Christian can do as God leads for the kingdom to come. And it is not a lesser thing at all. It is, in fact, a a greater thing because we are asking the living God to intervene in those situations. And somehow in the economy of Scripture, it just seems like God moves as people pray. Um, We know we're praying for things that God wants. It's not like God is going to say, no, I don't want to bless those people. Of course he does. He's going to work through us in some way or another. You know, when you talk about missions in the church, it conjures images of a, a group of people making decisions about uh, about money, about sending, uh, where are we going to send our money, which which missions will we support, which organizations, which individuals will we uh, send our money, send our financial support to, or, uh, you know, being, being, you know, from a youth ministry background, it conjures images of you know, a week and a half in Mexico, uh, trying to dig dig a foundation for a new church. That that missions usually uh, amounts to either sending money away to to someone else who is doing missions work of some kind, uh, or it amounts to to sending people uh, for a short amount of time from my church to go do work somewhere, physical labor, or maybe put on a vacation Bible school or or something of that nature. I mean, from your perspective, is that what missions is designed to be? Is that the way that we're supposed to be doing missions? How does that compare to what we're called to do in the Bible? In one sense, I mean, we are called to send and we are called to go. Both of those are scriptural commandments. Paul says there in Romans chapter 10, how will they hear, you know, unless someone tells them, and how will they go unless they are sent? So we are called to send. Jesus obviously calls us to go 
go, or perhaps some translations might say as you are going, wherever you are going, and we're all going places and have opportunities to share. So those are those are not incorrect, I don't think, but it probably goes deeper than that. It goes to a mindset that is looking for you know, how can the kingdom invade this this place where it needs to be? How can God's kingdom be in this place that that I care about, that I see, that God has put on my heart? That may be that may be my local school, it may be my neighborhood. Kind of strategizing about that, thinking about that. How can the kingdom of God come into this, you know, this this group in this other city uh, in our in our country? How can the how can the kingdom of God meet people who are here in the United States who speak some different language than I do because they're recently arrived? And you know, how can we welcome them and bring the kingdom of God to them? How can we bring the kingdom to people in another country who don't even have the Bible in their language? All of that. Um, and, the, and the funny thing is, the interesting thing is, is that we now live in a time where we know more about the world than we've ever known before about where the people are and what their needs are and who are the people groups and the languages. And we can do more because we have more resources available. You know, I mean, I can, I can actually sit down on my computer this afternoon and review the Bible translation of a people group in Tanzania that I'm going to next week ahead of time and so have an idea of what we're going to be doing and all of that thanks to internet and right. computer savvy people that are much smarter than I that put all this together so we can make that happen. To that same website and give money to that mission with a couple clicks of a button that I could I can make a contribution to to support financially a, a mission halfway across the world. Right, and we have a better system set up for reviewing who is doing good work around the world and who's using funds wisely. You know, all of those all of those kinds of things are available now to us, so we know where we're giving, where our giving will have the the best impact. You know, we we can do a whole lot more these days than we than we ever could in the past and it's and it's easier in some senses to to just get on a plane and travel now than it's ever been. I want to explore this idea a little bit of short-term missions in part because I am in youth ministry and I've been I've been part of a number of these trips but um, there's starting to be some questions. It's it's always been kind of conventional wisdom in youth ministry that yeah, you take students on a mission trip and it's very important and life-changing and it certainly can be. But do short-term missions actually accomplish what missions is supposed to be, what we're called to be and do? Just some statistics to throw out there. Over the last few years, uh, on average, one and a half million people have gone on a short-term mission trip from the United States. One and a half million people from the United States uh, per, per year go on a short-term mission trip. Uh, they spend, on average, $2 billion dollars in order to go on those trips. So one and a half million people are spending $2 billion to go on these short-term trips for a week, a couple of weeks um, to do. And I don't want to trivialize what they're, what's being done. It's, it's, it's largely good work, important work, building homes, uh, fixing, fixing an orphanage, um, you know, medical. There's a lot of medical missions that uh, are, are very important to help people uh, get the medicine that they need. But there, I think in a lot of instances, uh, it ends up being this—I heard this word the other day, it makes me laugh—volunteerism, that it's really just going on vacation 
in a way that makes me feel good about myself. And and maybe that's okay. Maybe I mean rather than sp I'm going to go on vacation anyway, so rather spend rather than spend the money all on myself, I spend the money in a way that where I get to go on vacation but also get to do some good. You know, I don't want to come across super judgmental. That's that's not the worst thing in the world. That's not a terrible motivation. But at the same time, I guess the question that's being posed is shouldn't that money be used in a better way. I mean, like the the what for what it costs to send thirty people to fly thirty people to a country in Central America uh, to to repair an orphanage would be enough to hire a couple local handymen and then also hire two full time staff members for that orphanage for the, the entire next year. And so, is it a matter of what's better? Is it better to do these short term trips to send people down there for a little bit of time to do something that? really the locals Christians could have done on their own? Uh, or is it better just send the money? You know, when people say, wouldn't it be better if we used the money for X rather than Y? And it, this may not be a f totally exegetically legitimate comparison, but it reminds me a little bit of uh, when the, the woman was pouring the very expensive perfume on Jesus's feet and Judas, who we realize later did not entirely have the best of motives, um, says, well, that should have been sold and the money given to the poor. And uh, Jesus, uh, Jesus doesn't chide her for doing that. Uh, he recognizes that caring for the poor is also important, but that extravagant gift was okay. And, uh, so I think if, if we recognize that God does indeed have all the money he needs to do whatever he wants, then the legitimate question is not, wouldn't that money be better spent on staff rather than flying people down there to put bricks together when local people could do bricks? The bigger question is, are we doing good by doing that or are we doing harm? And, you know, if by going down there we end up damaging the local economy and putting local people out of work, well, that's that's not a good way to help. Um, right. Which is why I think any responsible short-term missions trips will, will be done in partnership, in partnership with people that are working there locally, in partnership with local churches if they're there, in partnership with people that understand what needs to be done um, and how to do it in ways that really will be helpful. Hmm. And yeah, there may be places where, yeah, we could have done that a little cheaper if you'd have just sent the money. But if this person goes who has never been there before and they end up falling in love with the kids at this orphanage that they've helped to build, and then they end up supporting that orphanage by their prayers and by their finances for the next 20 years, right. well, my goodness, not only do you have much more benefit for the orphanage, but you have much more benefit for that person and for their church and for their family and for their children that are seeing how they give and how they pray and how they are, they care about people around the world. Well, you know, that's that's valuable. Right. Yeah. There. I mean, and, and, and not only that, but I've seen and, and, and personally experienced that short-term missions, uh, maybe more than anything else that I've done as an adult, as a Christian adult— um, create no they don't create they they help me to see what it's like to depend on God that I am in a different culture a language that I don't speak fluently a currency that I'm not familiar with doing projects that I'm not an expert at and and often you know more than once not feeling my best you know, and eating food that I'm not I'm not used to eating. I mean that that I'm I'm in a, a wholly different uh, and jarring experience that that brings up to the surface 
in a way that I've really never experienced before what it's like to have to depend on God. Because we're pretty insulated. I, I mean, we do, a, we do a pretty good job of saving enough money so that we're never in a real position of dire need. And I mean, we are, uh, we, we are secure. Um, and then you, you, get on that, you get on a plane or you get on the church bus and you go to these situations. And it's not just about seeing people living in a different culture or seeing people who, who live with less than I do, but it's about experiencing... Uh, what it's like to to not know. You know, I'm not in control. I'm not the one that's driving the van when I'm in Mexico. I'm just along for the ride. I have to depend that, you know, the missionary knows where we're going and that the food that we're eating is not going to make me sick. And any number of things, I have to cultivate a dependence on God. And that is valuable. Um, not just for students. I think a lot of times we think of short-term missions equals you know, youth ministry, but I think that's valuable for all of us to have that experience where we, we experience what it's like to depend, to really actually depend on God and not know where our next meal's coming from or if I'm going to have enough energy to, to get through this day or you know, what, how, how is my body going to interact with this heat down here. This, that dependence on God, I think that has a lot of value. And that is, I mean, that's really the, the definition of faith, isn't it? The author of the book of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 11, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So, so we're trusting God where we don't see the answer. And then the, the classic example of faith that uh, he cites is Abraham. Abraham, to whom God said, Abraham, go, leave your family, leave your father's household, leave everything you know, I'll tell you where later. And he goes. And the Bible tells us that Abraham believed God. He trusted God. He did, his faith for Abraham was not just, yes, God, I acknowledge that you are. That's often what we think faith is. No, faith is actually doing something where I have to trust that God really does have my best interests at heart and that he's going to take care of me even when I don't see how that's going to happen. Well, if we are, if we are all, every one of us, called to missions, and if really all that means is that we are called to uh, advocate a your kingdom come position, that we desire through our prayer and through our actions that God's kingdom will come uh, to every, everywhere, to locally, lo- both locally and globally. In, in order to do that, um, we're, we're going to have to, to, to go through a process of contextualizing. And that's just, uh, that, that just means that we take the, the message of God, we don't change it anyway, but uh, we figure out how to communicate it in a way that will be understood as easily as possible by uh, whoever it is we're communicating it to. So in youth ministry, we contextualize the gospel message for younger generations, uh, being careful not to change the message of the gospel, but to communicate it in a way that students will hear. Uh, if you're going to a different culture, uh, that would involve that may involve will will involve learning the language, uh, having a, a good understanding of uh, different. Uh, cultural practices and how and how things are different and how things are similar. Uh, and so some level of contextualization is just necessary. We do it all the time without even thinking about it, I think. But uh, I think if it, there's an issue that, that, that if you over-contextualize, if you go too far, that there's this worry that it's going to end up resulting in compromise, that I'm going to compromise my faith uh, and I'm just going to accommodate the culture and not challenge, not challenge anyone to change— 
But if I under contextualize, if I don't contextualize enough, then all I'm doing is taking my culture and forcing it on you. And so I guess my question for you, and this is another big question, but what, where is that line? Where is the line between contextualizing the gospel and compromising on, on the message? Well, I think part of it is, I mean, and this, you know, we have to study to understand this, is recognizing what is essential to the gospel and what is not. You know, a really easy one is the fact that Jesus is God's son and that he came to the earth as a God incarnate and died for our sins and rose again. Uh, for most of us Bible-believing Christians, that would be that would be part of the message that we really can't change um, and that we don't want to change because that's crucial to the message. For most of us, um, you know, whether we stand on Sunday mornings or sit on Sunday mornings or whether we worship on Sunday morning at all, um, you know, that may vary. I mean, there are there are places where the gospel is being carried to skateboarders, and they're meeting on skateboard parks, and they skateboard, and then they pray, and they do whatever else they're going to do to communicate that essential gospel message, but there are no pews, and there are no pianos, and they may not even meet on Sunday morning, um, but, you know, they're, that's, that's a part of contextualization. That's part of bringing bringing the message into their world in a way and a place and a manner that they will be ready to hear it. Yeah, we need to be careful to distinguish between what is cultural and what is Christian, what, what is absolutely necessary um, in terms of the gospel message, that uh, there are, are some things, and I, and I, and I think that, uh, you know, when you boil, when you boil it down, there, there, it's not a lot. I think it's, 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 it's a, a very it, it's a small core of things. When you and I were talking about this earlier, you brought up Acts chapter 17. Paul in Athens, and as he's walking around in, in Athens and and initially you know, looking at all of these all of these idols, all of these uh, altars that are set up to to all these different gods, all these pagan gods, and um, and that's the culture that he found himself in. Uh, at the time, and and rather than just stand up and rail against uh, the the polytheism and your you know the idolatry and worshiping all these different gods, instead Paul chose uh, to focus on here's this altar that you have set up to a, a, an unknown god, a god that you don't even know, and let me explain to you who that is. That 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 to me that's the heart of contextualization. That, that Paul didn't compromise. Paul didn't join. The, the, the people of Athens in their worship of, uh, of idols and, and gods that are not God, uh, but he also didn't stand and condemn them uh, for something that they hadn't even heard about yet. Uh, he, he, chose, he chose to use their culture, what was available in their culture, as an opportunity to share the gospel. And Paul was a smart man. Paul had studied all this, and in fact, it's interesting in his message to the Areopagus there in Acts chapter 17, he doesn't quote scripture at all, because why quote scripture to a bunch of Greeks who had never read it and didn't regard it as authoritative? Right. No, he quotes Greek poets um, as kind of a way of reinforcing his message to say, see, even some of your own people have said things like this, and I'm here to explain to you what that really means. Yeah, so to wrap up, this one's fairly simple. The kingdom perspective on missions is that every one of us uh, is called to it. Whether or not you sit on the missions team at your church, uh, every one of us is called 
to, to missions. And by that, we simply mean every one of us is called to live in such a way that our desire, both in prayer and in our actions and with our finances, is that God's kingdom will come, both locally and globally. Uh, John, I want to thank you for joining us. Um, really pr- appreciate your perspective. And uh, that's, uh, that's our episode. So see you next time.